0: Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory, and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, let us make three tabernacles one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, But they kept quiet and he told no one in those days any of the things they had seen this is the word of the lord thanks be to god
1: so if you're following along you notice that we have a little shift in our weekly order we're now having a children's uh lesson and so kids if you're pre-k through second grade in a few minutes you're going to go with emily out the back and into the courtyard for your children's lesson. But I'm gonna give you sort of the sermon in a nutshell. So this is really for your parents to listen as I talk to you. Let me ask all the kids here a question. How can you tell your parents love you? What are some things they do that let you know that your parents love you? Any ideas? Food, yes, you provide food. What else are some ways they show you you love them? Yeah. They give you shelter, you have a house, right? And a bed, and a place to be. Do your parents tell you anything about how they feel about you? Yeah. What do they say? Absolutely, they tell you that they, they love you. So just like your mom and dad treat you and show you that they love you, God treats us in exactly the same way. And so in this passage today that you're going to read out with the children we just read here all together, what we see is that God shows us his love by giving us a home. He gives us a place to live. God also shows us that he loves us by providing for us. He gives us things we need. He also protects us, and he is our defender. And he also rescues us from our enemies. And lastly, he gives us instruction and direction on how to live our life. All those things are ways that God shows us he loves us, just like your mom and dad show you that they love you, Okay, So now all the kids, pre-K through second grade, can get up, go out to the back and into the courtyard. You can do this quickly, it's fine. Awesome, thanks everyone. So we just read this passage uh, from the book of Luke that's called the Transfiguration. It has sort of a dreamlike quality to it. It's almost a visionary element in the story of Luke that up to this point, has been pretty straightforward. We see Jesus, we see him calling his disciples, he teaches, he instructs, we see him gathering a crowd. And so throughout that, it's very sort of easy to understand, but this is a moment where we see a little bit of a vision of something bigger and broader, a little more heavenly than we're used to so far in the Gospel of Luke. As I came in here this morning, I told you before, I'm a visual learner. You know this after six months of being here. I like pictures. I like images. And as I was just getting ready, reviewing my notes, I looked up and I'm like, oh, this is the sermon right here behind me. This thing that you guys see every week that we gather in here for worship for. This burning bush. And this spirit coming down. And the voice of God in the ark encapsulated by the word of God. All the things that we're talking about to hear in this passage of Luke, all these kind of visionary elements are pulling together these threads, these themes, these things that God has been using to direct and encourage to love his people from the very beginning of his interactions with human beings. And here we see it in a unique and powerful way. Visions can be very important parts of moving the story of Jesus forward. They're important in scripture, but they've also been important throughout the history of the church. There have been people who see and perceive unique things about these images that have very clear and powerful import to their lives and to their people around them at the time they see him afresh julian of norwich was a 14th century woman who lived during the black plague during a pandemic far worse than ours her whole family was uh, killed in the plague and in 1373 she was on her own deathbed as well and on her deathbed she had a series of visions 16 of them that she called showings about jesus She felt like Jesus came to her and spoke to her very clearly. And after she recovered, which was miraculous, she wrote them down. And this was actually the first book in English written by a woman. And it's called The Revelation of Divine Love. And in this book, she is pulling out and articulating these images, this story, this vision of Jesus in a way that has powerful resonance, not just to her, but to the Christian church. These words of hers have had a powerful influence on many, many people because they articulate something that's true and real and emotionally powerful. In her book, she says this to sort of um, help us get an inroad into what's happening with this vision that. Peter and James and John are having with Jesus and Elijah and Moses she says this about her own vision she said from the time these things were first revealed I had often wanted to know what was our Lord's meaning it was more than 15 years afterwards that I was answered love was this meaning who showed it to you love what did he show you love Why did he show it? For love's sake. Hold on to this. You will know and understand love more and more. You will not know or learn anything else ever. What is the transfiguration? What is this story? It is the revelation of divine love that encourages us to persevere in the way of God's character. The transfiguration is a revelation of God's love that encourages us to persevere in the way of God's character as we read through the story there are lots of images that are all pulled together in this account first of all the location this happens on a mountain mountains are very important in, in the story that God tells from the very beginning all the way throughout you can follow a history Of the scriptures through mountains Eden itself is pictured as a mountain a place where God meets with his people a place from which the rivers flow to water the rest of the earth it's a place where God covenants he he bears his soul to his people he enters into a eternal relationship with them it's a sign of home This is where you were built to be. This is what I created you for, to be home with me in this place where everything is right. And then throughout scripture, there are other mountains. Abraham meets God on a mountain of Moriah. Moses meets God on a mountain called Sinai. David establishes the temple on the mountain called Zion. Jesus comes to us on an anti-mountain mountain mountain of Golgotha to bring us, what, home. All these places, all these mountains are to communicate God's love for his people, to provide them a place, a sense of belonging, a true north, a real home. Also in the story, you hear and see that this light begins to emanate from Jesus himself. Uh, this is sort of the visionary aspect. The disciples see something they've never seen before. Jesus, while praying, begins to uh, shine. He begins to shine. His clothes become transformed. They see him in his glory in his full glory. This light that John, who's one of the witnesses of, In this passage himself is transformed by this image when he writes his own gospel account of the life of Jesus he begins it by saying in him was life and that life was the light of the world life is connected with the light that he saw in Jesus's transfiguration just like this tree was consumed by fire and light of the presence of God and yet it was not consumed the light was for the purpose of providing forgiving for granting life without this tree to Moses Moses would never have entered into the acts and the story of deliverance but the light was for a purpose the glory of god shown in the tree in order to call moses for a purpose the light in jesus is not just a interesting aspect it is the revelation of light in order to call and to show us where life is what is the source of everything we truly need is provided in this jesus and there's not only just the mountain and the light there is this cloud that descends upon them on the mountaintop this cloud this presence is not something that just shows up here in the new testament because we've read through the old testament we know where this cloud comes from we know what it is this is the exodus cloud the cloud of the glory of god that led god's people out of egypt that defeated their enemies that covered them from natural disasters, that provided shade for them in the hot desert sun. This is the Shekinah glory, the glory of God that fills the temple when Solomon dedicates it to such a degree, everybody has to leave because God's presence is among them. And because God's presence is among them, it gives God's people in Exodus, it gives God's people during the kingdom Of David and his his heirs, this deep sense of confidence that God is our defender, he will protect us. When you read through the Psalms, there's a refrain and a repetition that God is in his holy mountain. He is acting on our behalf. He is defending us. Then there's the words that the disciples overhear Jesus talking with Elijah and with Moses. First of all, a little, little sidebar why Moses and Elijah. There's lots of conjecture, lots of pages written about why. Let me just sort of give you a sort of simple reason why I think they're here, because Moses and Elijah represent the sort of two key parts of God's revealed word. Moses represents the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And Elijah represents the prophets. Here, all of God's counsel, all of God's revealed word, is in conference with Jesus in this image. And what are they discussing? What they're discussing in the the Greek is actually Jesus' exodus. The word exodus is used here. Jesus is about to exodus the world. From this point on, from the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, and as we'll see in the story of Luke, begin to consciously move towards Jerusalem. He will consciously begin to straighten up and clarify and simplify his ministry to being doggedly talking about what will transpire in Jerusalem. We got a hint of it last week when Peter acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ. As soon as Jesus, I mean, Peter said, you're the Christ, what did Jesus begin to respond to Peter to talk about? He began to talk about what it really means to be the Christ. To be really mean the, to be the Christ is to really mean to be about this issue of delivering my people through suffering and death. Through suffering and death, I will deliver my people And I will be resurrected, and I will achieve my aim of deliverance. And so Jesus, here by talking and conferring with the word of God, visualized in Moses and Elijah, be the one who is only always about rescue. Jesus's mission will be to rescue, to deliver his people. be the one through his own exodus to accomplish an eternal everlasting deliverance not just from a pharaoh not just from a temporary problem but from the very permanent problem of evil and of death itself jesus will deliver his people and then there's the voice of god himself in this passage god himself speaks for only the second time in the Gospel of Luke. The first time you remember was when Jesus was baptized. When he was baptized, a very similar thing happened. A voice of God came from, from heaven. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And the spirit of the dove came down. And so you hear the voice of God, the presence of the spirit on the person of Jesus the Son. You have a Trinitarian experience the whole Trinity is involved in the work of redeeming humanity. When it began in Jesus's baptism, and here again, an affirmation of the entire work of God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, in the work of rescuing and redeeming humanity from evil. And God speaks and he speaks words of affirmation. This is my son, not just any son. This is my beloved son. There's an affirmation of both affection, of actual love, but also of unity of purpose. We are united. His sonship, his authority is rooted in the eternal trinity's work. We as God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are engaged in this action. And this is the vocal affirmation of the rightness of this And then there's this command listen to him given to us but primarily through the disciples john and james and peter who are with jesus on the mount of transfiguration listen to him this is not so much a command that's a pejorative uh, sort of didactic finger pointing kind of command What this is, is really more a call to see that in Jesus, the revelation of God has been made complete. You and I are tempted, uh, the whole history of humanity has been tempted to fill in the hazy parts of God's character with our own thinking, with our own imagination. And sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong and sometimes it's really still hazy. But this command, listen to him, look to him, look to Jesus, is really a call to all people to understand what is unclear about God's character through the actual representation of Jesus as God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. That we see in him what we can be oftentimes hazy about the character of God and what i think i've been trying to say over and over because i think this is what luke is saying over and over and over again is the character of god what we see in jesus is incredibly at every turn surprisingly gracious that there is a tender mercy there is a loving kindness that god's character is always being revealed in jesus is love just a note about peter's words here Uh, a lot of preachers like to make lots of conjecture about what peter says about these three tabernacles these three tents i myself have said disparaging things about peter in the past and i repent because as i read afresh this time prepping for this sermon luke himself as sort of the divine writer makes a note that peter was overcome in the moment and didn't really know what he was saying there's a tenderness towards peter by the writer of scripture who's embodying god's character again even in its tenderness towards peter now I don't want to make too much hay of this on the other side of the ditch, on the other side of the road. But it does point to the fact that God calls, God welcomes, God brings into his very purpose and even leadership in his church people who are still half-baked, people who are still in process, people who are still trying to piece it all together. Which again is just one of these other little side notes of how this passage displays the character of God of love to everyone. And in this place, began to show us, even in this treatment of Peter, his tenderness. Now, how does this passage help those of us who identify as Christians or those of us who are drawn to Jesus? Those of us who kind of like okay this is awesome i really want to follow in this way i really want to understand god's character of love more deeply in my life how do i move from this story to actually appropriating that into my daily experience well 2020 has been a year of (laughs) a year of wonders a year of revelation and what it has revealed more clearly than anything else, that the things we long for, home, place, security, stability, are gifts. They're not things that we can create by our own power. When they come, they are are gracious gifts. This has been a year where a lot of those things have been stripped away from us. And we're freshly in this place of knowing that good things truly only come from God. And this revelation of divine love reminds us that a God that we serve is a God who only has the best in mind for his children. Home. You belong. There is a place for you. I have come from heaven to earth. I have covenanted with my people on a holy mountain in order to bring you back to the place where you belong with me. I have secured that belonging through this work of Jesus on your behalf. You can be at home regardless of what happens with the house in which you inhabit. Provision. I will provide for my people what they need exactly when they need it. It won't be early, but it will never be late. And God will come through over and over and over again, time and time again. He will protect. He will rescue. He will direct. All because his character is loving kindness. His character is being revealed. One of the ways we live in light of that is simply by once a day, usually at the end of the day, taking just a few moments. I'm a big believer in small things. Sometimes we don't do a lot of things we know we should do because we make too big a deal about them. This can just be three minutes as you're getting ready for bed, as you're before you turn out the light. Would you just review your day? And look for those places where you have seen God provide a sense of home and belonging to you in that day, where God has provided what you needed exactly when you needed it, where you were protected and cared for by God's intervention, where you were rescued and reminded of God's gracious provision of a savior for you in Jesus, where you were given instruction and direction about how to live your life. They generally won't be dramatic things, but they'll be small tokens that every day God will show you that he cares for you, that he is providing a home and a provision and a protection and a rescue and a direction. For those of us who don't identify with Christ or maybe have left the church or are not interested, can I just ask you to do something with this passage as well? Could I ask you just to sort of stick a pin in this location as a place to come back to one day? One of the things we all know about life is that it is unrelenting improving our need for a power outside of ourselves to provide what we really genuinely need we will all freshly come face to face with the need for home and belonging, for provision and protection, for rescue and direction. And when that happens, would you just simply come back to this story? Turn back to Luke chapter 9. Reread this and see that Jesus here is not just an abstract Savior, but he is the one who loves and cares for you, who seeks you and loves you, and is providing all these things that you know you need freely and without cost. And return back to here one day, when you know your need, know that your savior is waiting for you. The transfiguration is the revelation of divine love to encourage us to persevere in the way of God's character that was really the heart of Julian's vision. And she expresses it like this He, Jesus, said, Thou shalt not be tempested, thou shalt not be travailed, thou shalt not be diseased, but thou shalt not be overcome. Truth sees God and wisdom contemplates God. And from these two comes a third a holy and wonderful delight in God who is love and all shall be well and all manner of thing shall be exceedingly well. Let's pray. Jesus, we see your transfiguration as you bring together all the themes of your word into focus on Jesus. Encourage us with your character that your character truly is love. And that love provides and guides and shepherds and directs and brings us life. Help us to step into that path of life, to follow it, to trust your character day by day. In Christ's name, amen.